What's up, everybody? I hope you're doing well today. It is Thursday, uh, September 26, 2019, and this is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode 136 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. How are you doing there, Shawan? I want you to let everybody know exactly what's going on in your world and how things are. Uh, not too bad, man. I just got back from a training kid in basketball. I spent all all Saturday, I was coaching. I had to coach two teams, so my whole Saturday from like nine till six thirty was just in a gym. Then I turned right back around Monday, and we had another game. So it's been an exhausting, exhausting week. But my kids play really good. Like my whole team, and then my my kid, my kids, my actual kids played played really good this weekend and Monday. So I can't, I don't have no complaints. You you just saw me making a fool of myself there on Monday. I was I was talking trash, dancing, giving everybody pounds, talking talking shit to the other coach. It was great. It was great. It was incredible. My kids were like. Mom, come get this man. Come get this man before he embarrasses us any further. But the real question is, how did you, how did your team do? Uh, we won Monday. We played a really good team. We won Monday. They split my team up on Saturday. They put me, they split my JV team up, and then had like ten or eight freshmen. The first team, JV team, won. The second one, we lost because we just had like some girls who can't even dribble with their head up. Like they can't rebound. They can't pass. Like they couldn't do anything. <laughs> like. I was trying to be nice, but it's very frustrating to have kids beg you to get in and then can't take two steps with the ball without traveling. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Uh, and my parents well, like, put him back in. I'm like, this is three, three turnovers in less than 40 seconds. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> we are here trying to win. Yeah, yeah, That's definitely. Funny. That's pretty funny, my man. But um, as always, thank you for your time today. We got some things to talk about in the world of mixed martial arts. But before we do... As always, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can always subscribe to our channel here at MMA Ratings to catch all of the content that we produce. We do this podcast every Thursday, and I also do a pro wrestling podcast every, usually Wednesday or Friday. It's looking more like Fridays, but, you know, that's how it's going to go down. And um, as always, you can go over to MMA Ratings Net on Instagram and Twitter to catch all of our content there. And MMARatings.net, where you can go and rate the fights and let us know what you thought of the action from the week and how interested you are in the upcoming fights as well. So, Rafael, 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 go, Rafael, Rafael. go ahead. Go ahead. Before go ahead. we get into this, I, I have to ask you this question because I'm in the pro wrestling too, but you, you, you're more into it now than I am. You keep up things. I have a question like, when you have somebody like a Ronda Rousey or like a real fighter who's in the pro wrestling, you know, there's a lot of beef in wrestling. Like, guys don't like each other, they don't like working mm-hmm. with certain guys. Certainly. How do you have an issue? How do you have an issue with a real fighter? Like, if you have a problem with them, what do you do? You, 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 well, see, here's the thing about professional wrestlers that people often, they often forget that, yes, if you took, uh, let's say, I'm going to use Brock Lesnar as an example. Brock Lesnar, former UFC uh, world champion. Um, but before then, you know, he was a professional wrestler, big time uh, name in, across the industry. NCAA champion, dude's an athlete among athletes. Uh, there's a guy named Chris Jericho who is, he was considered a cruiserweight for the longest time. I mean, he was under 225 pounds. He was, you know, m- much smaller than what we recognize Brock Lesnar as. And he actually got into a backstage incident with Brock, like walked right up to his face and was ready to throw hands with him. Goldberg, too. And people who are familiar with MMA may be familiar with Bill, Bill Goldberg as well. Another big 265-pound heavyweight guy. But here's Chris Jericho ready to get into get into a fight over him with him. 
uh, because of things that happened in the ring, both men. And the thing that people forget about professional wrestlers is that they are some dirty ass fucking fighters. So yeah, you may have someone who may be a mixed martial artist, you know, multiple time champion, grappling extraordinaire, striker extraordinaire, but these motherfuckers fight dirty as hell. Like eye gouging, fish hooking, kick you in the nuts, they'll attack you from behind. Like literally <laughs> dirty, like dirtiest motherfuckers in, in the game. So yeah, you have people that can actually fight. But if you get slept from behind, you get slept from behind. There's nothing you can really do about that. All right, fair enough. I just I just want to hear people like, I, I don't like this person. And I'm like, you know you might see this person, right? Like, you know, in a one-on-one, this is probably going to go badly for you. So that's, I why just, I, that's why you look at somebody like Matt Riddle, who's so hilarious because he has been in professional wrestling for so long now that a lot of people don't even know he was in the UFC. Like, a lot of his, probably his younger fans now, or even some of his other fans who are just professional wrestlers or professional wrestling fans may not know how big of a prospect he was in in the UFC, but that's why his, he's such an interesting character, because he, he's been talking about Brock Lesnar trying to get into a real fight with this man for the longest time. So, it's, it's pretty interesting to watch, and it's pretty hilarious, and if you look at Matt Riddle now, compared to who he was in the UFC, he's a much, much, much bigger star than he ever could have been. Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. He was never going to really turn be a needle mover, as Dana likes to say it, in the UFC, but he's he's done quite well for himself in wrestling. He, he's actually done really well. Yeah, very true. I believe Dana White had to publicly or publicly apologize to him for um, saying some of the things he said to him when he first started professional wrestling. He, he was making jokes saying that he would never be a big star, and now here he is one of the biggest stars in in the whole industry. So well, you know, Dan Dana's yeah. wrong a lot more than he's right. <laughs> no, nope. I mean, he realizes that because he he's he's like yeah, the he... he's like the loud person in the room that they're the loudest, so people just let him have their way because they think that they'll be right. But it's like, no, just because he's the loudest doesn't mean he's right. Yeah, exactly. Just because he gets a bunch of other idiots to agree with him doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So let's go ahead and dive into today's agenda. We got a couple of different news items I want to talk about, and we have some fight previews for this weekend. Pretty busy. And it's a a busy combat sports weekend across the board from a boxing, MMA, um, ADCC is this weekend. I'll probably talk about that briefly before we go out. So there's a lot. There's a lot really going on today. But let's um, hop into UFC Mexico City, where we saw Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. We saw this fight come down end in a matter of seconds when... um, Jeremy Stevens takes an eye poke. The fight is called off. And, you know, this is Jeremy Stevens here. This is a guy who was literally bailed out of jail so he could fight. This is a guy who has joked about not knowing that people are allowed to turn down fights. He's 15 and 15 in, in the UFC. He's been with them since 2007, I believe. I mean, this guy, he's fought, and he's fought like a murderous row of um, fighters within the organization. Seeing him get poked in the eye, okay, the eye poke happens. We're going to talk about that in a, in a second. But the idea that people are throwing around that he wanted a way out or he uh, was looking for a way out or something like that, I'm, I've never – this is the type of frustration I have with mixed martial arts fans because it's just that, that level of ignorance of, like, not knowing what you're talking about, like, fundamentally not knowing what you're talking about, not having any iota of understanding of what it takes to train get in there to compete, get poked in the eye, get these random scary injuries that could change your lifestyle in a heartbeat. 
And that level of ignorance is, is so disturbing to me. When I, when I see this, what were your thoughts about the eye poke itself? What happened in the cage moments after? And like just the outcry that some people are putting out there that Stevens wanted a way out and he didn't want to fight. Uh, it it didn't it didn't really shock me the reaction because I mean nowadays whether it's mixed martial arts or real or you know traditional sports or just people working a job the first thing when somebody gets in a situation is they say well if I was in that situation I would have done this I can't believe they reacted this way you know you're making this many millions of dollars who cares if your your big toe hurts or who cares if your wrist hurts and and combat sports are even more vulnerable because everybody at the base of everybody's um, actual spirit in their heart, especially men, everybody likes to think that they can fight. Some people accept they can't play basketball. They accept they can't play baseball. They accept all these other things because you have to be some super athlete. You have to have all these years of training. But when it comes to actual fighting, everybody believes they have a warrior spirit. Everybody believes they go to war. And if they had a broken leg and poke the eye, they fight with one eye and they'd keep going. That's what everybody, that's what everybody likes to believe. That's what everybody basically espouses. Morning there. Hello. Or it goes down from a low blow. Nine times out of ten, people are going to be making fun of that person and saying they're a coward. They were looking for a way out. They didn't want to fight. And that's happened in every sport. Happens in boxing on a routine basis. Everybody's like, oh, that wasn't a good box body shot he went down he, he wanted a way out oh he didn't hit him that hard we don't know we're not in that person's body but for the average public who thinks they can fight and thinks they're a badass too and you know that everybody on the street thinks they're nine times of ten thinks they're a tough guy they're just like well i wouldn't give enough if i was in that situation that, that's all it is it's just ego talking and i'm not one bit shocked about it i'm a little I, the, the extreme reaction a little bit surprising but the, the reaction of people booing him and thinking he's a coward no that's to be expected yeah, I mean, I was pretty. I was. I was just. It's. It's. Um. It's. It's upsetting. It's disheartening, especially when you know you got to know who you're talking. We're not talking about Bob Sapp here. You know, we're not talking about guys like that who are going out there throwing fights left and right. We're talking about a man who, even though you may, you know, you may not be the biggest fan of some of the things he's done, that he goes out there and and fights at the highest level time and time again. Let's talk about some of the stuff that we saw from the fans um, throwing. Throwing stuff into the cage, that like that level of behavior. What were your, what was your, some of your thoughts about what the some of the stuff that the fans were doing and um, how they reacted? Uh, before I get into fans, I want to make one real quick point because we've discussed this before. You know, when people have pulled out of fights because of injuries or illnesses or something, fighters actually set the table for this often because a fighter will say. I had one eye and I was willing to die in there. If I was sick, I would have taken the fight because it's for a title. Fighters set this unrealistic bar by the whole I'll die in there. I'm a warrior. I do this for free. They keep pushing the fantasy of mixed martial arts and combat sports instead of the reality. So when you keep pushing that, you can't be shocked when fans who constantly hurt, I'm a warrior. I'm different than most people. Where other people quit, I keep going. And then somebody sees you get poked in the eye, then you quit. I'm not saying that's bad, realistically, because I understand. It. But when you, you set the bar so high and fighters do this one another, he's a quitter. He went out. He could have kept fighting. They do it all the time. So they've set this bar that nobody can really meet. And the minute you act like a human, the fans turn on you because you've been sold that this person's a warrior, a cyborg, a gladiator. 
gladiators don't give up at eye pokes. As far as the fans, that was just ridiculous, man. I mean, that could have gotten so ugly. They were somebody could have got hurt. I mean, he really could have been injured. Imagine one of those cans hit him in the head and cut him open. Imagine, you know, one of them hit him in the eye and really damaged him. Or if somebody's walking around, they slipped on ice and messed up their ankle, or or who knows what could have happened. You know, I mean, what if one of the fighters just ran out of the cage and started swinging on people in the crowd? That's perfectly possible. I mean, I don't I don't know that the UFC can go back there for a while. I don't know if they really should go back there for a while because that situation could have gotten really, 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 really bad. I mean, it, it didn't get half as bad as it could have. And uh, I'm just glad everybody got out there without injury. But the way those people were reacting, I thought somebody was going to come out of the crowd and try to attack Jeremy Stevens himself. I mean, so as far as what happened at the gym, to be honest, we've seen worse at American sporting events. There was just a video going on um, uh, from the Eagles' last foot- home football game where two guys were fighting in the stands, rolling down the stairs. If you've ever been to a football game and you know how their chairs are set up, it's very easy to like fall over someone in a row in front of you. And these two men started fighting and were literally rolling down over people um, in, the, in the stands. Like We've seen worse situations across sports all over the world. If you've ever seen a soccer fight that goes on in Europe, I mean, those things are scary and dangerous. We had, um, I don't even want to compare it to the Malice in the Palace, which happened here uh, years ago, because that's a, that's, a, that's a different thing. But we've seen American fans act out and, and act a fool before in the past. So I hate that, the, that some individuals within the MMA MAGA space have tried to use this as an opportunity to detract against um, Latinos and in, in the Latinx community, yeah. but that I'm not with that. I'm not bit. with that. I'm not with that at all. They, they you can't make it a racial issue. That's uh, fans are angry, they're upset, and you know the reason you go to certain areas is because the fans are rabid right fight fans. And what's fan for, short for fanatic? If these people weren't fanatical about combat sports, the UFC wouldn't exist. These people wouldn't get paid to fight in a cage. Guys wouldn't make hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to fight in a cage if you didn't have rabid fanatics who are into your sport and if you're a fanatic about something when it doesn't go your way it isn't in the way you want what happens how do you react you 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 react into the extreme just like when a guy wins and people he can jump to the crowd the crowd carries them and they're out there for hours cheering them on that's the positive side when a negative occurrence happens they react just as passionately so it's kind of two sides of the same coin the ufc can't make the money they make if people aren't that invested but once again when things go sideways people are going to have those kind of reactions. And let's be honest, the UFC is going to find some way to spin this and use this to market future fights. I mean, that's what they do. They have I mean, bad well, behavior they, and they use it. They're already rebooked for, what, the fight on in October. So, I mean, they're already re- rebooked. And you know that this is going to be um, pitted on the back of that. I mean, they are... Like so, there was that the footage of Stevens and Yair getting in tr- getting into it at the hotel, calling each other gay slurs, and you know all of that in some way, shape, or form is going to be used to promote this next fight. Oh yeah, the UFC never takes any chance to take the low road and use behind the scenes footage and behind the scenes trash talk and uh, slurs bashing races, genders, classes, or uh, sexual tendencies to instigate a fight. Any, anything that helps their bottom line, the UFC will use it. And I don't know why everybody acts like the UFC is above that sort of thing. Like, I mean, it's not really the Super Bowl of mixed martial arts. Let's 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 not let's not push that. It's like a 
it's like the WWE of mixed martial arts. You know, I mean, they they play up every sort of angle to sell the fight, and they'll do whatever it takes, no matter how disrespectful or how tacky it is. They'll do whatever it takes to make sure they get that get get the fans' eyes on it and get those pay per view eyes. And that's that's been the way they've always done business. So let's talk about another fight. Actually, let's take a step back here. Um, From a booking standpoint, how do you see Jeremy Stevens versus uh, Yari Rodriguez 2 going? Is it going to be any different than what you thought this first time around? Or does this backstory add a little bit more to um, what 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 you're expecting to see when these two finally get back into the cage? The only thing that the backstory might add is that somebody might fight particularly emotional and somewhat stupid. But the fact of the matter is, Jeremy Stevens is who Jeremy Stevens is going to be. He's he's been in the he's been in the business for a long time. He's fought the best, hasn't beat the best, but he's fought the best and he's competed. I I feel as far as a fighter, he doesn't have many more evolutions or there's improvements he can make. I just don't know that he's a guy who's capable of making huge sweeping improvements to get better at this point. I I feel like he is who he is. And Yair Rodriguez, for the fact that he is young and he has a lot of potential, I think right now he's kind of hit a plateau where he's what he's done has been working. So it's only been little minor adjustments. He hasn't suffered such a devastating loss to where he's had to really go back to the drawing board and readjust everything he does. So I kind of feel like these guys are who they are and they're going to fight the way they fight. You can't fix your defense over six or seven months. You really can't fix it over a year. You can't fix your footwork dramatically. You can have minor improvements, but under duress, you're going to resort to what you always do because you haven't made it second nature. So the the way I called the fight the first time is pretty much the way I called the fight this fight this time. It's going to be the same fight. It's just going to be a matter of who gets to who first, who can exploit whose holes earliest in the fight. Because one, in general, these guys aren't the kind of guys who turn fights around. They're kind of like you're losing a fight, you lose it. You're winning a fight, you win it. Neither guy has shown the maturity or the depth of skill to really turn fights around on a on a dime, not against upper level opposition. So I don't really think the fight, anything really changes. They're going to make it seem like things are changing because of the bad blood behind it. But the fact of the matter is once they get in the cage, this is a professional event and neither, neither one of them wants to lose. Stevens losing isn't anything different, but uh, Yari Rodriguez has a lot to lose. Stevens is, hasn't been great the past two years and Yari is being considered as a potential star in the division. The loss to Jeremy Stevens sets him back two or three fights. So he really can't afford to lose this fight. But um, like I said, regardless of who wins, to me, neither guy is a contender. It's just showing that they're one level below a contender and one level below above a journeyman. So do you really think Yair could be a star in the organization, especially with the way he was cut unceremoniously from the UFC for when he supposedly uh, refused to fight Zabit? I think he can. He's an active fighter. He's dynamic. He, he's he been in fairly exciting fights. He's got that comeback of the year fight win against uh, the Korean Zombie knockout. He is a knockout against uh, touchy F- Andre Feely, which is a highlight real fight. And, and for the most part, all his fights are high action, high contact, high intensity kind of fights that people tune in to see. And as, and as good, as dynamic as he can be offensively, he's so flawed d- defensively and so wild with his offense that he can't really get into a boring fight. He doesn't have the skills to make a fight boring. He's basically a guy who's exciting because he has to be because he doesn't have the skills or the strategic awareness to make a fight boring. He, he doesn't have that development in his game as of yet. And that takes time to develop. And right now, I don't think he has any interest in developing it. So he's he's got star potential. 
I don't, I don't, he's a good looking guy. He's exciting. He's in shape. Uh, he's gotten got a little bit of a backstory. And the fact is he's Mexican and that comes with a certain support system all in it, all of its own. It's really going to come down to how much of a persona he can show outside of the cage and uh, constantly winning to justify it. I, I don't think he has the charisma right now, but you know, I mean, all you got to do is get in the right, right position, say the right thing. And next thing you know, you're on a run. True, true. What did you th- um? What did you think of his interactions with Michael Bisping when Bisping tried to walk up to him and talk to him? I didn't know what was wrong with him. I guess he was just hyped from the whole thing and all pumped up. Um, I mean, it's funny, you know, so that would have been like a regular announcer. He probably would have jumped back and Bisping just was like looking at him. It's like when Kobe, uh, that guy tried to fake Kobe out by throwing the ball in his face and Kobe didn't flinch. This dude yelling yeah. and screaming like he wants to fight. And uh, Bisping was just like, are right, you calm now? Okay, let's do this interview. <laughs> so... That that was kind of funny. It it was weird. I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I'm just glad it wasn't like a regular announcer, somebody, because or a fighter who's got a hotter temper, because that could have been a situation that got set off right there too. It, it just seemed really. It seemed really. It seemed really. He was just reacting really weird to it. I've never seen a person get that angry and be that frustrated with the the events. I don't know if something was said before or something happened before, but I think at one point he was trying to run out of the. It just didn't make any sense. Everything he was doing did not make any sense to me at all. And I'm just glad he didn't do something that he would regret it that would have caused real, real repercussions for the UFC. You know, let's say a basketball player running into a crowd and a mixed martial artist running into a crowd. That's two completely different stories. So I want to talk about one other fight from uh, UFC Mexico. Carla Esparza getting a split, I think it was split decision over Alexa Grasso. Everyone's talking about the moment where her arm was basically bent into the shape of a U. What did you think about this fight? And, um, man, we talked a lot about Carla Esparza uh, and her just her grit. And, it, I mean, it really showed through. We almost called it for this fight on uh, this past Saturday. What did you think about you, what you saw from Carla? And is, is she ever going to challenge for the uh, title again? First of all, I don't know that she can ever really challenge for the title. The people she'd have to beat to... Uh... To get to it, I just don't think she can still beat. I, I still think her, it's it's kind of like the Betch Cohea effect, except, except she's got a little bit more defined skill set. At some point, I know athletic and fighting, it's the romantic aspect of it is your will and your grit and how hard you're willing to push. But just but the thing people forget is fighting to a certain degree is like any other sport. At some point, athleticism comes into play. You can be in the best shape, you can have the best mind, you can have the best skills. But at some point, if you're a step and a half slower than somebody, or you're a step, you jump a step and a half lower, or you're not as strong or not as explosive. At some point, that catches up to you because a guy, an elite athlete, doesn't have to be as dedicated as you to give you the fight of your life. And if they are as dedicated as you, they just walk right through you. And Sparza has some hard limitations when it comes to her fighting style. That's why she has to grind people down. That's why she has to be so well prepared. That's why she has to be able to be defensively sound on the feet and on the ground, as well as offensively sound on the feet and on the ground. Because she doesn't have that one-punch power to turn a fight around. She doesn't have a huge chin that can take all sorts of punishment, and she can hang around until someone gets tired. She doesn't have the physical strength that if she doesn't have the her hands in the perfect position to get the takedown, she can just power you down or explode forward and muscle you down. She doesn't have anything. It has to be pitch perfect, and if it's not pitch perfect, it has to be consistent, push, 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 put that mental pressure on you, put that physical pressure on you so you eventually break or hesitate, and then she can get to the spot she needs to get into. She doesn't have a cheat code. She has no fight, no way to turn a fight around if a fight gets out of control. And that's something that 
the girls at the higher echelon of this division all have the ability to do. She does not, and that's what's always kind of put a hard cap on her. If she even was half the athlete of Claudia Gadelia was, she would have beat Claudia Gadelia. But the simple fact of the matter is Claudia Gadelia kept taking her down and, and basically out-athleting her. Every time Claudia hit her, she backed her up. Every time she got her hands on her, she put her down. And no matter what Carla could do, she could barely get back up. And when she did get back up, she couldn't stay back up against a one-legged, limping, tired, out-of-shape Claudia Gadelia. She couldn't even keep the fight on the feet long enough to wear her out. And she had everything working in her favor and still couldn't pull it off. So I feel like she's hit a hard ceiling as far as how far she can go, especially against mentally strong and athletically gifted fighters. And even in this fight, as much as all the good work she did earlier on, you can feel the tide of the fight turning. And to be honest, that last round should have been a 10-8 round. She couldn't do anything with she couldn't do anything with her. She was too strong, stuffing takedowns. Every shot she was hitting her was snapping her head back took her down and had her in, in positions where, to be honest, the referee could have stopped that fight, to be honest, just to save her arm. I've seen refs stop fights just, just to protect the fighter. The ref, knowing that she's a veteran, let her work her way out of it. But there's been other refs who've called fights, even on somebody tapping, especially when they see the arm bent like that. Think about what uh, Ronda did to Misha Tate. Misha didn't tap. The referee stopped the fight. So, I mean, you, you saw the best and the worst of Carla Sparks. You saw the game planning. You saw the poise. You saw the maturity under pressure. You saw the, the consistency and the activity and the smart and the disciplined movements and the, the controlled aggression. But you also saw that once the athlete turned it on and really decided they were going to put their stamp on, on the fight, there wasn't anything Carla could do. I mean, she literally had nothing she could do against her when, um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting her name right now. Um, Grasso. As soon as Grasso turned it on, she had nothing for. For that third round, she had nothing for. After she had pretty much cemented the w- the way the fight was going, she she had nothing for. Couldn't take her down. Couldn't land on the feet. Couldn't control her. Couldn't slow her down. Um, Alexa just had her way with one of the most seasoned and proven veterans in women's mixed martial arts, and she dominated her. It made it look easy too. I, I really thought that fight could have been a ten eight round and actually won it for Grasso, but um, like like we said before. Esparza's a disciplined, mature, focused, and well-trained fighter who's not going to crack in those tough spots. And because she didn't crack and because she didn't give up, she didn't just give up and she knew how to work her way out and stay calm, that's one of the fight. I'd say that almost 90% of the division would have tapped in that armbar in that situation. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, that's really a, a lot to kind of, Breakdown there. I am. I'm. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I'm surprised the way that the fight kind of kind of ended up. You know, it's because it went a lot along a lot along the ways that you called it. What I am always more interested in is the way that Esparza just does not go away. And not only does she not go away in the fights that she's in, but she doesn't go away as a contender itself. She's almost like Glover Teixeira is for the light heavyweight division, except, you know, she's not nearly as old. She hasn't nearly been, been as round, around in the UFC as long as, as long as he has. But she's someone that you can't just throw any young contender in there against because she'll beat them and then she'll remain within the top five of, of the division. But she, she, we know that she'll struggle to uh, regain that title. And if she does regain it, it'll, it'll be an odd situation to watch it occur. So she's definitely someone that I've um, just enjoyed on a flat-out grit basis, and that she, like again, like I said, she refuses 
to go away. Like right now, she's ranked number eight in the division. I'm not sure if these rankings have changed since Saturday's fight. I believe they have because Alexa Grasso has dropped down two spots. But if you look at, I mean, if let's say she gets paired against a against a Michelle Waterson, uh, that's a fight that might be difficult for Waterson to win. And even yep, if you look yep. at. I mean, we saw what she did with Tatiana Suarez. I mean, she basically had to get put out there. I don't know if she's fought Nina Ansaroff yet. You know, Joanna Janjacek had to put her out of there on her shield. We talked about the Claudia, the Delia fight. She could win one to two fights and be within the top five by the end of 2020. I mean, she could. She's kind of like the, uh, she's like a female version of Glover Teixeira on a certain level. She's clearly not elite. But she keeps knocking off everybody with the potential to be elite. She's just so seasoned, has so much maturity that when you make a minor mistake, she's that to turn the fight. She did it against Cynthia Calvillo. She did it against Rose Namajunas when Rose first got in the UFC. Now she did it to Alexa Grasso. All these girls who are big, strong, dynamic athletes with good striking, good wrestling, good grappling, weren't it? She completely shut them down. She completely shut them down until they asserted themselves. And in the case of Grasso, when Grasso turned it on. As far as they didn't have anything for, and you kind of wonder what would happen if Grasso just came out and really tried to put a stamp on the fight early. Like, what could have happened had she decided she's going to assert herself earlier in the fight instead of waiting so late until she was behind the eight ball? True. True there. So, uh, I, I have a new agenda item to add. This is something I just saw. It's probably about an hour or two old. Uh, the news just broke. But BJ Penn has been released from the UFC. Uh, the MMA Junkies reporting it. Uh, Yahoo Sports is reporting it. I believe MMA Fighting is as well. But a former two-division champion, BJ Penn, who has not won a fight since, I believe, 2010, 2011, I think. Uh, Diego Sanchez is his last victory. Uh, has been released from the UFC. Uh, wow. I'm not surprised that this news has come because, you know, we, know, we all know about the... We all know about the legal troubles he's been in, the video uh, clips of these street fights that he, he's been in. Um, obviously, he hasn't won a fight in years. He doesn't look the uh, same, and there's been a lot of pressure, external pressure to the UFC to cut him. What are your thoughts about this um, release here, and do you think it's in Penn's best interest that the UFC release him, or should they have kept him on the roster and just not given him any fights? Um... I mean, I don't know that it changes anything. The the big the biggest question about Penn is how is he living his life outside of the cage? Like, is he happy? Is he is he is he being successful? Does he have business ventures? Does he have things that he can involve himself in that don't include fight him fighting directly? Does he have some sense of purpose? In that case, the UFC cutting him doesn't resolve anything because that that doesn't take care of him outside the cage. Whether he's taking care of his money or his personal life, so the UFC this him fighting was. The obvious problem. The actual real issue is how fighting has taken a toll on him and how maybe his his inability to deal with life outside the cage. You see somebody like a GSP who's retired. He's doing great. He's doing fine. He's done some movies, made some appearances. He's come and gone a little bit, but he's more or less been a success. His biggest success outside the cage has been inside the cage. Somebody like BJ Penn seems to really struggle with not being in the spotlight, not being 
a fighter. It seems like that defined his personality. So yeah, as far as a professional sport and him as a fighter, yeah, they're doing great by cutting him. But as far as like how this protects him or looks out for him outside of the cage, there's nothing Dana White can do about that. And there's nothing the UFC can do about that. And that's where the biggest concern for him is. I'm not so concerned about him getting beat up in the cage. I'm concerned with him getting in street fights with regular people outside of bars. That's the real problem. Do you think we're headed for a situation where he is signed by like Bellator or World Series of Fighting? Do we see that happen? I don't think World Series of Fighting. Maybe a J- Japanese. They 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 all like those sideshow fights. And to be honest, if you're putting BJ Penn against another faded, older fighter who doesn't have it anymore, once again that that becomes fair. That becomes even. So now the disparity in used in the conditioning and explosiveness isn't as dramatic that actually is a competitive fight because you have people who aren't who they used to be competing at the same level like a master's level at a grappling tournament you know it's like you wouldn't have some of those guys have the skill level to compete with the younger guys but hey, they don't have the mouth, condition- sir. i'm in a master's division watch your mouth <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're about to say right now watch your mouth I was wondering, I was like, what, why is, why is Robin so quiet? Yeah, you were just over there fuming like this much. Mo- yep. I'm going to have to go to Texas and choke this fool out. <laughs> okay, well, for those youthful and and exuberant and seasoned guys, not old seasoned, they're seasoned. Damn it right. just it even things out a little bit. I mean, I know this wasn't a real fight in Bellator, but you had Kimbo against Ken. Now, some people said it was work, whatever, but Ken at 50 or whatever having lost a couple steps, having lost a couple fights, not not being as durable, him against Akimbo is now competitive because of where Ken's at in his career in his career. Ken in his prime even kills Kimbo. But once you have you level the playing field, you have other fighters who who are in a similar career arc as BJ, you might get a competitive fight out of it. You might have somewhat of a back and forth in a in an even an even contest. But when you have him against these young guys who are two times faster probably bigger, stronger, conditioned better because they haven't been beating up their bodies over the the uh, career he's had with the weight cuts and the fights. He can't compete against these guys anymore. So, I mean, if his best would probably go to Japan where they could find some, you know, maybe have him fight a Shinya Aoki who isn't a damaging fighter, or maybe a Takanori Gomi or some other big-name Japanese fighter who's on the tail end of his career. You know, even a Tatsuya Kawajiri fight might not be too bad for BJ Penn because he's ending, he's trending towards the end of his career as well. You could have him fight some names who are on his level, and you might actually see BJ Penn get a couple wins together. But you can't have him fighting active, young, fresh contenders right now. They're just using him as a stepping stone, and and he's just taking unnecessary beatings and suffering unnecessary, embarrassing losses. Because at this point, I don't even mind if BJ loses. I just want to see him be in the fight, be competitive. So I can see some of that old BJ Penn, even if it's just for a couple rounds or a couple minutes. Like when he fought Dennis Seaver and he dropped him, I was like, BJ's back. I mean, I knew he wasn't, but it was just nice to see him competing well against somebody. But um, that that's that's the only way they can do it. I, I guess Bellator could take a shot at him, but who would they put him up against? I mean, Miles Jury, he's fighting Benson Henderson. He he hasn't looked the same. At that he looked in a, in, a, in a long time. I mean, you know, I really don't know who they put him. Like we know that they have no problem picking up older fighters, but I don't see any value in BJ Penn. I mean, if anything, 
if I was his management team, close circle team, you could easily get BJ Penn in some grappling events. I mean, uh, professional grappling is growing uh, as an industry. He may not make as much money. He could probably make a livable wage in that circuit if he's still effective. But that's really the only space I could see him. I wouldn't want him getting back into the cage in any way, shape, or form. It's very sad because he should be having a victory lap. He was a popular fighter. He was the first Hawaiian fighter to make it big. Like, he should be, like, running a gym or having some kind of political position or running an organization. Like, all this stuff just seems so beneath him, man. It's depressing. Like, this should, this is beneath you, dog. It's like, uh, I don't know, Troy even came out of retirement to, to or he was be- announcing for the XFL. Like, dude, you were a three-time Super Bowl champion, man. One of the best quarterbacks ever. You're announcing for the XFL? Like, leave that for some third-string guy or some guy, you know, some backup quarterback like you're Troy Aikman you should be covering the best sport possible you shouldn't be over here in this side sport it's like if LeBron was was playing in the big baller brand the JBA like come on dude you're LeBron you're you're above this kind of stuff man I know we shouldn't say that certain people nothing's above anybody but LeBron in the big three that wouldn't look right Kobe in the big three nah I know it's good basketball but we Kobe shouldn't be in the big three. Just like Pauli Malinaji shouldn't have been doing bare-knuckle boxing. It's just beneath you, dude. You're a world champion. Come on, man. Yeah, you're right about that. Let's talk about one other news item that came out today. And it's um, Kamaru Usman and Kobe Covington is looking to be booked at UFC 245. This would be the third title fight on that card. We have have Max Holloway versus uh, uh, Volkanovski. We have Amanda Nunez versus Jermaine Durandamy, and this is looking like the third fight on that card. It'll be at the T-Mobile Center, and I think in L.A., I think that's where that um, location is, or one of the set, what I think is uh, L.A. But what are your thoughts about this here, man? Um, booking this fight, if this fight is booked, it's not officially announced. Putting it on a three-title card with Nunez, uh, Max Holloway, do you think this benefits them too? Do you think that they'll be able to get the money that they've been seeking now with this type of placement? Uh, first of all, I don't think this card is going to do very well. No offense, dude. I, I don't see a really appealing, well well thought out fight they can sell between all three of them. Nunes isn't a big seller. Holloway has some appeal, but Volkanovski ain't going to get it. And Colby Covington, he might he might draw your ire, but he doesn't draw fans into seats. That's the problem. So um, I don't think this is, this event does very well at all. I really don't. Um, it's funny seeing Kobe, you know, because Kobe's going to say that he he dictated to the UFC, and it's funny seeing him having to actually back down and have to take this fight for what he's he admitted is going to be short money. He knows he knows the position he's in. He doesn't have any leverage, and he's going to have to he's going to have to accept the UFC's terms so he can get his title fight. And I, and hopefully hopefully for him he will wins because I don't think he generates enough interest that if he loses the title fight that he's going to be on anybody's radar the only thing that's kept him on the radar is the fact that he's kept winning once he loses I don't think a lot of people have a lot of interest in him and if he loses in a devastating fashion I really don't think a lot of people have a lot of interest in him he's not a particularly exciting fighter and he's not charismatic or clever in the stuff in the trash he talks so he really needs to win this fight he's in that Tyrone Woodley and he's in that Kamaru Usman boat. Like, you don't have that belt. We don't really care about you. So, I, I'm as a professional, I hope he wins. As a person, I'm kind of hit or miss. I don't really care. But, yeah, um, I don't think he's getting more money. And I think he's basically being being bullied into taking this fight because he knows that if he doesn't get a title shot, 
eventually somebody's going to knock him off or they're just going to start lowering his pay and he's not going to have a choice. So he might as well go for the title, see if he can get some leverage through that, which isn't going to work either because he's not popular enough. But I, I see what he's trying to do. I just don't think it's going to work for him. True. I, I definitely, I, I see this fight. I, I looked at it, the whole card itself. Let me see if I still have it up. And I agree. I don't think this is going to be a huge draw of, of an event. Let's see. UFC 245 right now has Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovski, uh, Amanda Nunez, Jermaine Deronimi, Robbie Lawler, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Matt Brown versus Ben Saunders, and Jessica I versus Vivian Arujo. So I'm not too sure about this card as a whole. It's at the T-Mobile Center, December 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada. So yeah, we'll see. I want to see all these people who, who, who complain the UFC doesn't push Amanda Nunez. And she's been getting a raw deal, which she hasn't. She got to fight the biggest names in mixed martial arts, one after the other after the other, and got paid very well to do it. Since the UFC is so fair and nobody gives her the coverage she's supposed to, I'm expecting all y'all to pay that paywall and pay the pay-per-view to show that she's a she's a she's a actual draw. Everybody keeps complaining the UFC won't push her, UFC won't push her. Put your money where your mouth is, and the UFC will go where you go. If well, she's not even buying, a main event. She's not even a event. Yeah, I mean, but she, like, uh, so I don't expect. If, I mean, if people Holloway go on is, the boards and say I'm A-side. buying this for, if they say I'm buying this for Amanda Nunes, and they come out in force, and all her fans from all across the country come out showing their, and she gets the biggest reception at the weigh-ins, they can prove their point. But they don't care enough to do the work. I hate people who just get on Twitter and complain and get on write these long articles. Don't do that. You you want to make an impact? Get you and three, get a hundred of your friends and have all y'all buy two of the pay-per-views. Go with it. Go to the event. Follow her around. Buy her gear. Put her name out there all the time. Get her. Get sponsors for her. If you really want to see her get the money she deserves and get the push she deserves, show the UFC she can make money and watch how much money they put into her. But until that happens, it doesn't matter. It's just complaining. So this is the chance for everybody to prove Amanda Nunes has something to go go for. Because if this isn't a huge buy rate, it's not Max Holloway's fault. We know it's not Max Holloway's fault. It's going to be everybody beneath him's fault. Because Holloway's been able to sell a little bit. He's got a bit of a fan base. The rest of these people are unproven as hell. So if this is as a bad pay-per-view buy, I'm not looking at Max Holloway. I'm looking at these other two. Colby Covington, Amanda Nunes, I'm looking directly at you guys. Y'all got to carry your weight. Because if they sell 300000 I'm going to assume 250 are because of Max Holloway. True, true. Uh, let's talk about... Let's look in, okay, so that was the last... News item I wanted to talk about. Let's go ahead and move into some fight previews for this weekend. Where I just we have two events I wanted to talk about. Two fight, two fights each. Oh, I pulled out. We have USC Copenhagen, where we have uh, what's his name? Jack Hermanson is facing off against Jared Cannonier. I want to talk about that fight. So Shawan, I'm gonna let you jump in first. What are your thoughts about this bout here? Is this a main event? Because what I what I'm seeing. In reference to this fight, is more and more people are just talking about Kennedy's story about how you know a couple years ago he weighed 300 pounds, got into MMA, and now he's down to what middleweight? Yeah, uh, fighting at 185. What are your thoughts uh, about this as a heavyweight? Oh, excuse me, as, as a main event, is this a fight that should get people excited, or do you think that this is just this is a this is a kind of like the bottom of the bottom when it comes to main event bouts. It, it's really, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is in today's UFC, this is going to be a main event because they have so many 
events, they have to have to put somebody in the main event. Somebody has to lead the event. It doesn't matter if you're a it doesn't matter if you're a draw. It doesn't matter if you're on a huge winning streak. All that matters is you have somewhat of a name, you have somewhat of a story, and they're going to put you at the head. Basically, they're going to throw names into the hat. Whoever comes out on top gets to be the main event on on the card. This is really more of a uh, prelim fight or maybe an opening match on the main card, to be honest. If we're we're being straight about the name value and the impact that this fight would have on the division, it's, it's it's not the sexiest fight. It's not the most technical and layered fight. It's really being sold on the story of Cannoneer, and Hermanson doesn't really have a personality, nor does he have the kind of wins that just makes people think that he's going to be the guy who could knock off an Adesanya or knock off a Whitaker or knock off a Romero. He's a guy who's trying to prove that he's elite in and of himself, to be quite honest. That win over Jock Ray was nice, but it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of win where you're like, wow, he really showed me something. He's really made me a believer. So... I mean, this is just a, this is the main event by default. You so you see who else is fighting on the card. They, they couldn't lead with any of these guys, so it's just a result of having so many cards. Somebody's got to be the lead, and they chose these two guys. So let's look at where they're ranked right now. Um, let's see. This is one eighty-five. Jarrett Cannonier is ranked number nine. Jack Manson ranked number five. Is this a title eliminator for either man? I mean, ahead of them is Paulo Costa, Yoel Romero, Kelvin Gastelum, and of course, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Do you see either one of these guys facing off against anyone in this top three? I don't no. think so. I think, I think Paulo Costa, you know, he's next in line for a title shot. Um, Yoel Romero just came out of that Paulo Costa fight. Kelvin Gastelum is facing off against, um, who does he, he has a fight coming up. Darren Till. Uh, Darren Till, that's right. And, I mean, if I was any of those guys, I wouldn't want to face Hermanson or Cannoneer in any way, shape, or form because they're just not a draw. They're not a draw, and it's like you beat them. People expect you to beat those kind of guys. You lose to them, and it sets you back three or four fights. So you can't afford to fight a guy like that. unless it's a, and Even if it's a competitive fight, you know how the UFC is. You were supposed to smash somebody, and you don't. All of a sudden, they start looking at you a little bit differently and putting you into fights that you don't want to be put into because you didn't put a stamp on the fight or you didn't move the needle, however they want to call it. I I just don't see the point of anybody who's got a name. These guys are trying to get to the point where they could fight somebody of that level. They they haven't done enough on their own merits, whether it be wins or whether it be the skills they've shown in the cage to get a name fighter. I mean, to be quite honest, the the fight is going to come down to does Cannoneer's athleticism and power enable him to, in one of the spots he explodes in, win the fight? Or does Hermanson's constant pressure and grappling-based attack give him enough to extend and eventually wear down and submit Cannoneer? Because Cannoneer hasn't shown much defensive grappling or much counter grappling. So if the fight hits the ground and Cannoneer is not able to put something on Hermanson early, it should be Hermanson's fight. Hermanson can't get the fight to the ground and stays in extended exchanges on the feet. Cannoneer's power and his explosiveness should be enough to turn the fight in his favor. And that's really as simple as the fight can be made. So the fight that I am most excited for on this card isn't a main event fight. In fact, it isn't even... Is it a main card fight? Let me make sure. Yes, it is third from the top. 
where we have Gunnar Nelson facing off against Gilbert Burns. Now, the reason why this fight is important to me and the reason why it's that timely, could have been a, That could have been a main event. Correct. This could have been a main event. Let's let's look at quickly where these guys are ranked. This is uh I don't think either one of these guys are ranked, to be honest, because I don't it's maybe a welterweight fight. No, neither one of these guys are ranked either way. But what is so most important to me about this fight here is because it's timely. Gunnar Nelson, and, well, Gilbert Burns actually was supposed to participate in ADCC this year. I believe he placed third in 2017. This is a bi-weekly, a bi-weekly, uh, it's a semi-annual grappling event, basically considered the Olympics of, of grappling. And I think he took bronze in 2017 in his weight class. He was offered a, a slot in this year's event, but he turned it down so he could take this fight. Gunnar Nelson also competed in ADCC back in, he competed in ADCC twice in 2009 and 2011. In 2009, he placed, in both times, he placed fourth, I believe. So, I mean, he's had some success in uh, that space. Now you have these two guys stepping in, in into the cage to fight MMA where obviously you have all those different facets that add into their grappling space. So I'm really interested in seeing how this fight uh, breaks down, if it's going to be a stand-up affair where you have the, the, the two guys seeing who can best implement their striking game, or is, are we going to see these guys grapple against each other and are we going to see a clinic? Because I, two examples stand out to me. You had the fight against Damian Maya and Jake Shields from years ago, where a lot of people forget Jake Shields manhandled Damian Maya in that fight. He mounted him twice. No one else can even claim to be coming to come close to that when we talk about um, Damian Maya, what his abilities are on a, on, on a map. Jake Shields mounted his ass twice. So that really kind of like stands out as a major moment to me that a lot of people forget to talk about. And then the other, um, the other point that, uh, I, I always kind of reiterate when talking about grappling and mixed martial arts is when Damian Maya basically abused Gunnar Nelson as well a couple years ago. So I'm wondering what type of fight should we expect to see from these two men? Is this, is this are they going to fight on fight it out on, on the floor? Am I going to get my fix of grappling and mixed martial arts, or are they going to negate each other and be on the feet for majority of the fight? Burns is a fighter who he always fights in these big spots, and he he tends to get tired fairly consistently in his fights so i can't i can't imagine that he's going to be an extended stand-up exchange i mean he's very dynamic but the fact of the matter is he fights in spots and when he isn't able to completely control somebody or walk right through him he starts getting tired when he starts getting tired his defense completely collapses and usually that's when he goes into desperation of grappling he really hasn't fought with the best iq in my opinion, he's got all this ability, but he doesn't really seem to fight with it, the structure or the poise necessary to really maximize it. And he constantly exposes himself against guys he can't walk right through. Um, which makes me wonder if, he, if even the grappling, if even the grappling is a good idea for him, just because, as you know, even when you're conditioning for grappling, it's very exhausting against a guy when you can't clearly get positions and clearly control him or, or clearly get submissions on him. Because that means you're constantly working against the full strength of his body having and that takes a lot of energy to hold somebody down who knows what they're doing to control them to fight for risk control to get mounts to get hooks in to maintain position that's very exhausting 
which would also take away from his striking, which would also fade his gas tank, which would also make his defense on the ground suspect. So it, it's really, I'm really curious how, how this fight goes. I'm assuming that he's going to come out early and try to catch Gunnar Nelson early because Gunnar Nelson still uses a karate-based style. His defense on the inside of the mid-range isn't very good past an initial parry. His defense is all distance management and positioning. So you can catch him with hooks. You can catch him on the counter. You can get him to the body. You can kick him to the legs. You, you can really wear on him. The only difference is when you jump on Gunnar Nelson early, it kind of takes a minute or two to get his timing down and to figure out what you're doing against him. And in that early, those early exchanges, he's super dynamic. He's super accurate. He hits really hard, he, and he can finish a guy very quickly. So it's, I'm, really, I'm really interested to see how Burns approaches this fight. I really think it's a must-win for both guys. Burns hasn't looked great recently, and he's not even in anybody's discussion as an elite welterweight. And Gunnar Nelson's had some fights that he was expected to win that he did not, and he lost fairly decisively. So I think another loss really puts him on the outskirts of the welterweight and really puts him on the outskirts of working with the UFC. So it's really a, it's going to be a very high-stakes fight for both guys, two guys who have very clear holes in their game and very clear limitations as physically as fighters. But um, I'm probably going to favor Nelson. I just don't have a lot of faith in Burns. He's so hit or miss, and um, I don't know any way that this fight goes, whether it's on the ground or on the feet, where he at some point is not going to exhaust himself and set himself up to be finished. Yeah, I find it very intriguing in that same space as well. He does fight at a very high pace, and we know that Nelson has shown an ability for patience in um, the cage, even when he's in bad spots. So I, I think this is an interesting fight for me, uh, and I'm kind of, this is the fight that I'm looking forward to the most out of the whole weekend. Uh, Shawan, what else are you looking for out of this UFC car before we move on over to Bellator? Um, interested to see how Lena Landsberg does. I mean, she's coming off a she's on a win streak. She came off a really big one sided win over um, Tanya Evinger, even though Evinger hasn't looked great. That's the kind of fight that you would have thought that Lena Landsberg would have lost in her prior incantations in the UFC. She's really shown a good all-round game, like not just defensive grappling and counter grappling, but she's shown the ability to be offensive with her grappling and mix it in with her striking. Um, Jason's a girl who is an up-and-comer and has some potential, and she's taken, she's basically jumping headfirst in the deep end of the water. Um, fighting a Gina Mazzani or Sarah Morass is much different than fighting somebody like Lena Landsberg, who's really established in the division and has shown that she can compete with the better fighters. So this is the chance for Macy to take a huge step forward if she can beat Landsberg. She essentially takes her heat, and being a younger fighter who's, been, who's had a bit of a push by the UFC, she really has a chance to really jump right into the higher levels of the division and possibly be uh, a bantamweight contender before the year is over. Say that last and if again. Landsberg went, I said if she, if she beats Lena Landsberg, she could take a huge jump forward and be considered a, uh, a contender in the bantamweight division before the year is over. And if Landsberg wins, she's going to slowly creep into a position where she's going to be a legitimate contender because she's put so many fights together and she's she's done so well. So this is really a fight that's going to determine one of the top contenders possibly for the title, possibly to fight the winner of Nunez um, Durandamy in the next, probably next couple months, next year or so, because if she, like I said, Macy wins, she's going to get a big push. The Bantamweight division is super thin. You don't have to win many fights to be considered a contender against Landsberg. Landsberg's won like three out of four, maybe won her last three. She's in a position where she's one step from being a contender herself. So whoever wins this fight, they may not be real actual contenders 
for Nunez or Durandamy, but they will actually, in the terms of their rankings, be actual legitimate world title contenders and be in position to fight for a world title before the year's up. Okay. All right. Good thoughts there, sir. Let's move over to this Bellator card because that's the next one. I, I, to be honest, totally forgot that this card was going on this weekend. But we have James Gallagher versus Roman Salazar at the main event. They're fighting in Dublin, Ireland. And, I mean, you have Michael Venom Page fighting against a 3-1 and Richard uh, Keeley. You know, it's like, it, what is Bellator doing? The only fight on this card that's, that, may, that I want to stop and watch is uh, Vincent, Vincent Henderson and Miles Jury. But talk to me about this card here, Shawan. When you look at everything you see here, does this even stand out to you? And do you want to even see this? Uh, isn't Pitbull fighting on this card? Uh... Is this the one where he fights Archuleta? I, don't, I think that's the next one. Um, okay. Let me look. Let me look. I thought they were still doing the tournament. No, that's the... So, okay, so hold on. They fight on Saturday. Gallagher versus Salazar is Friday. Pitbull and Archuleta is Saturday. Okay, 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 yeah. And, and, um, okay, so I forgot. I see. I'm sorry. I'm Okay, I apologize, Bellator. I won't give you too much shit this time. I completely forgot that you have a Friday and Saturday card. The Saturday card is Pitbull and Archuleta. Uh, Gegard Musasi versus Leo Machida. Darian Caldwell versus Henry Corrales. Daniel Weichel versus Saul Rogers, AJ McKee versus Georgia Karakani, Leandro Higo versus Sean Bunch. I mean, Antonio McKee. This is a card here. AJ Agar's arm. They have a bunch of people on. Okay, this right here is a card. This Friday card, they might as well cancel. Yeah, the Friday card, basically Bellator is just trying to expand their brand. They know they can't really compete with the UFC in America, especially. So they're trying to develop their own homegrown stars. And, I mean, they have a lot of fights in Europe and just all over Europe and other places. So this is basically a showcase event trying to take the next step in building James Gallagher as a star and hopefully kind of get MVP back on the winning track and hopefully add some more shine. He gets a highlight reel knockout or highlight reel win. It's going to pick up some of the shine he lost in his, in his loss to Lima. And with Henderson... They're trying to find out a, ne- a legitimate contender to the lightweight championship, even though there's no way you can have a legitimate contender because the lightweight champion is also in the featherweight tournament. So I, I don't know what I don't know I don't know what the actual end game is with Benson Henderson because whoever wins this fight should be a contender, but you can't fight the champion because he's currently not available to fight because he's in a featherweight tournament. Unless they're going to do an interim title, which I don't I don't know the Bellator's ever done before. I, but um, th- this event is just really trying to expand their brand and put James Gallagher in a position where he can get another win, an impressive one, and take another step to being their version of Conor McGregor, someone who excites fans, gets outside media attention, and can kind of get a fan base who can take Bellator to the next level. Because it's not really so much the events, it's how much how invested you can get the fans in. If you get fans really invested, that's when you get pay-per-view buys, that's when you get not knock out of the park ratings that's when you get paraphernalia being sold and you you get to to break from the normal sports media and normal mixed martial arts media and get into the espns and the fox news and the and all the other events all the other sporting broadcasts across the world that's what they're hoping that he's going to be able to do for them because he's young he's brash he's only got one loss and he's fairly exciting in what he does so they're just trying to use this as a platform to build his star and they're only using this as a platform to help build 
MVP star, even though, to be honest, his fight's kind of a big step backwards for him as far as the quality of an opponent. But, um, you know, I'm sure they had their reasons. They were protecting him before. And to be honest, again, in a Douglas Lima fight, he did well enough where I don't feel he needs to be protected. He beat Paul Daly. I mean, he, he was doing well against Lima. I don't know that you need to protect him at this point. I think now's the time where you start moving him up and seeing what he really has. Because you, you can't, if he, let's just say he loses to a guy like this. The damage is irreparable. You might have, you've already got him on the path to facing good guys. Don't take five steps backwards just to get him on the winning track again. Either he can he can swim or he can at this stage. He's already made money. He's already become a star. We need to see him and see how well of a fighter he can be at this point. You're right. Either he can swim or he can't. That's a good analogy to use there. Um, and looking at this, see, in my opinion, this Bellator car on Saturday is better than the UFC card. This is the best card of the night here. I mean, we got Friere, Archuleta, Musasi, uh, Machida. I'm interested in that rematch. Um, Darian Caldwell out there again, trying to get back to uh, uh, title contention, with, but this time in the featherweight division. There's a lot to kind of digest here. When Bellator puts these type of cards together, do you see them as a true competitor to the UFC? Yeah, the pro, the and we've had this discussion so many times. Fans are going, people who listen to our show are going to be saying, "Oh, here it here it comes again," and it's coming again. The problem is they don't have the depth. They don't have enough guys. One through three, they they can compete in almost every single division. But when you get into five through seven, seven through ten, ten through fifteen, that's where UFC separates from Bellator. They have divisions where the top fifteen guys, guys who are top fifteen through seventeen, can compete with guys who are top five through one. That's how good the divisions are. The Bellator goes from fighting elite guys to essentially squash matches. And the sad thing about them without having that depth is a lot of their elite guys are older guys who just don't have it anymore. So they're essentially being used as stepping stones. They're not really in the position where they're in competitive fights anymore. So when Bellator can do this, it makes them look really good. It shows that they could, that all the, the talent isn't in the UFC, but it also reminds you of what separates the UFC from everybody else, and that's numbers, that's depth. It's like the difference between playing at a D1 school and playing at a D2 or D3. D3 schools have D1 talent. JUCO schools have D1 talent. But the question is how much D1 talent? D1 schools have one through four D1 talent. D2 schools have one through two D2, D1 talent. D3 schools, one, and so on. And that's the difference, the, the depth of the talent. And Bellator has never found a way to get around that. They haven't developed enough guys because those guys get thrown into fight with these overly experienced, still in their prime fighters and suffer humiliating, if not punishing losses. And then the older guys end up fighting each other three or four times because there's not enough other elite guys to match them up with. So you see rehab repeats of the same fight. I mean, how many times did Daniel Strauss fight Pat Curran? How many times did Michael Chandler fight Eddie Alvarez? You know what I mean? It's like you see so many rematches because there's no one else for them to fight of a comparable level. Yeah, true. It's definitely um, it's definitely there are definitely more points in, of interest where I look at Bellator and I'm like, man, they put on some fights that I would rather see over uh, fights that are going on with the UFC at the same time. And I think what I like the most about them is that they're willing to try new things. We talked about what they're doing with their um, featherweight tournament and how they how they did like the reseeding for that and allow people to pick their fights. I think that that's really um, exciting and interesting. I think that the UFC would never do something like that, but the fact yeah. that they're willing to try different things, that's always 
that's always the biggest uh, indicator of a disruptor to me. So I, I think that that is a positive step, a positive direction forward for the uh, sport as a whole. But when you're in their position, you don't have a choice. You have to take chances. It's kind of like, you know, it's like when you're in a fight and you're down and it's the last 30 seconds, last round, they say, just go get them. You have to go get them. You're down four rounds to none and you've only got five minutes away to win. You can't play it safe. Surviving ain't going to be good enough. Running ain't going to be good enough. Being technical ain't going to be good enough. You've got to get a finish. So in Bellator is in a position where they don't have the luxury of sitting back and waiting or trying to figure it out or we're going to play by the same rules. They have to do whatever they can to separate themselves so that people people will pay attention to them and people won't lump them into the UFC. Because there's still people who think, when they think Bellator, when they hear Bellator, they think it's some division of the UFC. So the only way they can separate themselves is have these tournaments, have these fighters fighting out of division, have heavyweights fighting as light heavyweights, middleweights fighting as heavyweights, just trying to get as many names as possible out there to get some kind of reaction to get eyes on their event. They don't have the luxury of having an established brand with one through 17 elite fighters who can draw attention and can can be justified in drawing attention because they're so good. They got maybe one through five guys who who can legitimately draw that attention. The rest of the guys are just kind of finding their way or just there to build up their new guys or build up their established guys who need a who need to who need a rehab after a tough loss. I agree with you there, sir. I definitely agree with you there. Um, what are some final thoughts, man? Let everybody know what you're working on this week and where they can find your content. Uh, well, one thing before I get into that, I, I I have to reiterate, Bellator, I know they've paid the Pitbull brothers, and by that by that regard, they've done fairly well for them. And I know the Pitbull brothers aren't American fighters, but the fact of the matter is they've been with Bellator almost since the word go. And I don't feel the Bellator has ever really bought into them as, as the faces of their organization. They've had Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez, just, you know, uh, Aaron Pico came in. They bring in guys from the UFC and they pay them all this money and they give them all this attention. And they give them all this shine when two of the best fighters you've had and two of the most exciting fighters you've had have been with your division, have been with your organization for years, and they, and in my opinion, essentially they get treated like second-class customs, second-class citizens. They they get forced into these fights. They they ask for fights they don't get. They kind of get these fights on a whim. They have to basically win all these fights to get in position. In the UFC, they don't treat the guys who've been consistent performers like them. And in Bellator, it just seems like if you have a name, they're going to put you over the established guys they've had over these years. And to me, it's a bad look. Because as Pitbull, one of the as he as Patricio has proven, he's an elite guy. He might be an all-time great as a featherweight and potentially a light lightweight. But Bellator never went out of their way to put him in position to be a star. They never put him in position to win these fights. He was always like the second or third option, even in this tournament. I mean, a guy of his caliber should he really have to do a tournament like this? I don't know, you know. But I mean, it's what they're doing to draw interest and draw eyes. But I routinely have to talk about how I feel that the Pitbull brothers have been overlooked, misused, and unsupported by their company. This isn't like an Amanda Nunes thing. This is guys who've been top-level guys for them for, what, six, seven, eight years? You know, they've been on dominant streaks for years, and, and they, they've never been really treated like it. They've never been pushed like they are big stars. They've kind of been the B-side in all instances, and that, that just doesn't sit right with me. I, I expected better from Scott Coker. I'd expect this from... Dana White, that sounds like this is like his style, but from Scott Coker, I just I just expect it better. True. Good thoughts there, sir. Let everybody know. What are you working on this week? Um, I'm gonna be I'm working on 
a couple things. I'm working on this article about things camp should do. I'm also working on a, I'm going to do another an article kind of like I did with the Captain America thing. It's going to be about, it's going to be Green Arrow because this is going to be the final season of Arrow. So I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of do a, a realistic look at his fighting style, some of his favorite weapons, why they're effective, and his approach to fighting it, and use gifts and aspects to show him using these techniques or using these weapons in fight. It's kind of like give the fans of comic books their their feel, but also give it like top notch analysis on the on the same end. Good stuff, good stuff. I'm um, covering a lot of grappling this week. It's a big, big, big weekend in professional grappling. It's ADCC, as I mentioned. This is the Olympics of uh, competitive grappling. The top, um, so there's there's five men's weight classes with 16 men in each. And then there's two women's classes, weight classes with eight women each. So you win this, you are considered the best of the best. I mean, think of the movie, the best of the best, that tournament, blood sport, whatever you want to think of. This is as close as we get to a real life event. And we also have a super fight on Sunday with Felipe Pena and um, Felipe, Felipe Pena, excuse me, and Andre Gaval, uh, who are fighting for the super, super fight title on Sunday. So weigh-ins are tomorrow. This is going to be a hell of a weekend to look forward to. Uh, this week actually is a big week in professional wrestling as well. As we have the launch of AEW's um, weekly show, I'm going to that here in DC. Uh, so I will be covering that and a lot of the fallout from that over the week uh, when it comes to WWE versus AEW and those Wednesday Night Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have a boxing match this weekend too, as well. Who's fighting this weekend, Sean? Errol Spence and uh, Sean Porter. Yeah, that, that that's a big fight that a lot of people are talking about this weekend. We have Glory on Saturday as well. So yeah, there's a there's there's a whole hell of a lot going on uh, this weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of events. I mean, but I have to admit, I, I admire your dedication to grappling. A lot of guys say they love grappling and say they cover it, but if it's not directly related to mixed martial arts, they 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 don't they only talk about it. They don't cover it and give it the attention as much as you do. Because you mentioned a fighter, you're mentioning his actual current ranking as a grappler, his current wins. And I, I appreciate that respect, man. A lot of guys don't do that. They just kind of throw it in there to make it seem like they're much smarter than they actually are. So I appreciate you showing that dedication to the uh, the craft of grappling and making sure that uh, these people are given given their props for what they're doing. Yeah, man, it's definitely a big time in the sport, and I'm looking forward to this weekend. So with that, man, we're going to go ahead and close out, man. As always, I appreciate all you're doing, and we'll be back here next week to talk more about the world of, of um, MMA and everything that goes on within it. All right, sir. You have a good weekend. Be safe. Have a good one, sir.